unsettled. Dr. Gander, do you mind, for those listening, introducing yourself? Sure. So I'm Dr. Sarah Gander. I'm a general pediatrician in St. John, New Brunswick. Um, I'm a Johnner. I grew up here. I left for my training um, to Newfoundland for medicine and to Kingston, Ontario for my pediatrics residency. And so I came back to St. John to practice and I've been here ever since. Thanks for being a part of the Sensory Friendly Solutions podcast. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. As I understand it, you're you're also in the podcast medium. Is that right? My gosh, thank you for the <laughs> plug. Um, yeah, no, I'm the host of the Fact Dev Lounge podcast for Dalhousie Medicine, New Brunswick, which was uh, kind of awesome because we created it thinking that um, we needed another way for faculty to consume faculty development education. Mm-hmm. Um, just given people's busy schedules and kids and um, distributed education and travel and things. And then lo and behold, a global pandemic hits. And so our relevance kind of was even more amplified. So yay. Yay us for (laughs) being ready for a pandemic. The only part of my life that was ready (laughs) for the pandemic. Right. And we're going to talk a lot about that. Um, But before we get there, it really is an incredible medium to meet people where they are. I think one of the things that one of the reasons the podcast medium has grown so significantly is it kind of goes in tandem with the mobility revolution. People are on Mm -hmm. the go. We're busy. Now we're all at home. And we're going to talk a lot about that because one of the goals of the podcast is dealing with this time here and now, but it really does meet people where they are, doesn't it? Well, and it doesn't contribute to what I think is some of the harm that's happening now, which is just, you know, basic screen fatigue. Yeah. You know, people get really excited about inviting us or having, you know, like, oh, we'll do it on Zoom or like, oh, we'll do this webinar. And and you just sort of think, I don't want to do any of that because yeah. I'm, I'm Zoomed out, you know. And so it's nice to think that maybe you can consume some of this stuff and still accomplish those goals or that interest, but be it for a walk or be on your treadmill or be in your car and Um, I guess it's multitasking if you like that kind of thing. Yeah. I wonder if that, do you think those, maybe we're taking more liberties right now in the way that we work and the way that we consume media. Do you think some of that stays? One of the things that I think will be important going forward is do we, do we maintain a better relationship to work following this or do we go right back to where we started? Oh, wow. What a great question. Um, I think what it's done for me personally is uh, made me realize that you can multitask in a way that serves you, you know, so if I want to be in a call that I know that I'm sort of a passive listener on a call Mm. and it's at nine o'clock and maybe I want to do that walking on my treadmill while I listen, well then great. Yeah. But if it's something that I need to be an active participant in, I think we need to still commit ourselves to sitting down and focusing and, but also taking some pause because it does take a lot out of you to, to stare at a screen all day. Um, and so I think that I hope that there's some things built into this world that we start to learn about that kind of allows us to pause because the temptation, of course, Mm-hmm. is to log on to a meeting at nine, log off at 10, log on at 10, log off at 11. You know, we used to walk between rooms at least and 
pee and grab a drink and high five, you know, your friend in the hallway. But, uh, but now we could just isolate ourselves all day. Mm. Some days. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Having said all that COVID check-in, I have to do a COVID check-in with you. We're all dealing with this in different ways. (laughs) First and foremost, yeah, it's a health crisis, but it's turned into much more. I I think it's the perfect storm. It's been a social crisis. It's been a financial crisis for some, and it's been a health crisis for many families. So COVID check-in, how you doing? How's the office? Give me the scoop. Oh, that's nice. Um, Well, we're in New Brunswick, so we got off a bit lucky. Um, I do think that the province made some early courageous choices, and that's Mm. probably why a lot of the reason why we are where we are. Um, But also, I know the frontline people who did a lot of hard work. And um, and so I think that COVID check-in for me now at this point, because here we are in September, um, COVID check-in is a bit frustrating right now because the kids have gone back to school. And I'm not always convinced that the plans that we made that were to be applied to everyone necessarily followed perfect logic um, at times. So one of the biggest challenges is the alternate days for high school students. And so when you're a pediatrician and you spend a lot of time trying to get kids to do what they are supposed to do, which is get up in the morning and have structure and go Mm -hmm. to school and come home and do some activities, that sort of Tetris of their schedule is frankly a nightmare. And it's a nightmare for parents and it's a nightmare for teachers and it's a nightmare for people trying to help people with behavioral disorders or neurodevelopmental disorders. And so the COVID check-in for me now is to try to have compassion for the fact that people are trying to make the best decisions they can to keep us safe. Um, But also push a little bit to say um, at what point in a province that has such a low yield of COVID Mm -hmm. uh, morbidity Um, do we start to ask ourselves, are we doing more harm than good by overreacting maybe, but that's a strong word because, you know, at the same time people will say, well, of course I'd rather overreact and have no COVID. Yeah. Yeah. It strikes me. Let's stay there for a minute because it strikes me that that hones in on one of the goals of this podcast. And one of the goals of this podcast project is to produce content about this world that's increasingly busy, it's noisy, it's bright, it's overwhelming. You mentioned behavioral disorders or those who are neurodiverse. I don't think I considered that the disruption in scheduling and the disruption in routine that this has caused may be a serious barrier to people being well or families being well. Mm -hmm. I think what we know pretty well about the way the brain works is that the brain really likes habit and the neural pathways and grooves that it becomes familiar with. And in neurodiverse children uh, and really anybody, you know, there's a moment where you really thrive optimally with a routine. And that routine is really in our society cycled on the daily right? Like this is what we do every day. We get up in the morning, we have breakfast or brush our teeth and da, 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 go to school, go to work, whatever. Um, and so then, you know, like I had a patient who um, I was trying to figure out his high school 
uh, mm-hmm. schedule for him. Mm-hmm. And if you like think of the month of September and October with like holidays and everything, it was like, okay, this week you're going Monday, Wednesday, Friday, next week, Tuesday, Thursday, but the next week there's a holiday. So that week's Tuesday, Thursday oh, again. Boy. So there's just no even pattern that the human brain uh, is going to default to in an easy way. And so then add neurodiversity onto it, add, um, you know, toxic stress and trauma and poverty and, uh, you know, two working parents or, you know, not knowing where your next meal comes from or whatever, whatever, a lot of things that our community is a reality. It's just like, you know, how is this, how is this going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to come back to all of that. I know you work a lot in the social determinants of health and I want to bring up some of Gabor Mate's work that has been radically, has radically changed my life personally. And I know probably a lot of the listeners too, but I want to trace your career arc for a minute. Why a pediatrician? Oh my gosh. Um, I feel like this is a med school interview. (laughs) There's a okay, lot less so pressure. The right less answer less is because I wanted to help people. No, that is the answer because, yeah, is, um, yeah. you know, it's funny, right? I uh, I grew up in St. John. We all have our own challenges in this world. And one of my family's major challenges was uh, a, one of my, so my, my aunts are like my sisters, just the way the ages work. Mm-hmm. And um, my cousin, so who felt like, you know, a niece or a nephew, uh, passed away from a brain tumor when I was in early university. Wow. And so we have these formative moments where we sort of get inspired by beautiful people. So my mentors were people, and anybody who's listening who knows pediatricians in St. John would know the names like Emil Paris, Wendy Alexander, um, people like that who just were, you know, by the bedside 24-7 back in those days and just beautiful people who, um, you know, were wonderful mentors. And so that and my mom's best friend is an eMERGE doc in Moncton, Pam mm-hmm. Walsh, and she's always been like the coolest person I knew. And so I've just adored her. So I think mentorship and sort of putting yourself in their shoes, because I don't have any doctors in my family, because sometimes that's it, right? Like sure. your dad's a doctor, your mom's doctor, whatever. But it was just, I think that, and I loved the sciences and I always worked with kids. And so it just all kind of came together. And I'm really super silly and weird. Yeah. My med student just said that actually before she left, she was like, pediatricians are really weird. <laughs> said, just just as a group, you're just unique. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, uh, I feel the need to give a shout out to healthcare workers like you during this time. I have, um, I have a mother who has been in a hospital her entire life. I think it's 30 plus years now on the job is probably going to wrap it up pretty soon, but in this moment when everybody else went inside, um, for example, I'm a technology entrepreneur. What can I say about working on the front lines? My mom's in the hospital every day and seemingly is all too willing to be there. So shout out to you and, and all the healthcare workers that are working right now. I know we've done well, mm-hmm. but, but, uh, we are in flu season, so let's wait and see. <laughs> That's right. Get your flu shot. <laughs> yeah. Sarah, can I put you on the spot for a minute and read something that you wrote? My God. Yes, sure. <laughs> okay. You, you said won me this. over when you put my name and um, Gabor Mati's name in the same podcast. Well, I'm, I'm putting you on the same rung for the sake of this show. And, and hopefully okay. you see yourself in that light because you do the same work. So you wrote this 
And this was from the Amplify East website. You said, when I started working, I was nervous I was going to do the wrong thing for patients, prescribe the wrong medication, make the wrong diagnosis. After a couple of years and some key mentorships, which you mentioned, I started to be afraid I was not going to do the right thing for patients, give medication instead of asking the right questions, make a diagnosis instead of listening. That is when I found social pediatrics. Do you remember saying that? Yes. Does it still ring well, true? Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. Um, I'm glad that I'm glad that does ring true to me because it is true. You know, um, the system spends a lot of time and energy on compartmentalizing things so we can understand them. So this group of symptoms or this um, presentation means this, and this is what we call this. And, you know, that's what we get trained for. And that's what makes us be able to understand things. Again, you know, the brain likes simplicity. It likes being able to put things in a box. It's, it feels the safest there. But when you get some experience with this work, I really think where the magic happens is when people, if people could care less about what it's called and more about a person and what their strengths and challenges are, and, you know, this world speaks a lot about how are we going to build resilience in our kids and in our teens and why do we have all this anxiety and depression and things. And, um, and I got lots of referrals for do they have anxiety, do they have depression? And it's like, well, they have a lot of feelings and symptoms right. and behaviors. And the world is hard. And, and yeah, and like, what are we going to do about it mm-hmm. is what I care about. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's I'm racking my brain trying to think about what it must be like in this moment encountering all of those things which fit perfectly in the themes and the goals of the podcast and one of the books that I read recently in prep for learning this material was was Gabor Mate's When the Body Says No. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about how it's not just an illness, it's so much more than that. We carry trauma whether it's from our childhood or whatever. And one of the references for this podcast is as of June 2020, the word sensory overload was being searched over 40,000 times a month on Google. And that might not seem like a big number, but that's a 50% increase in the past year, according to Google Trends. Are you seeing that in your work? Because that's it might be an intangible number, but a 50% increase of sensory overload, meaning I'm overwhelmed by the world right now, up 50% in a year. Are you seeing that reflected in the work that you do? You mentioned anxiety. You mentioned things like depression. Is is it true? Is that it's not just one thing? It's a whole suite of things affecting all of us. I don't just see it at work. I see it at home. Mm. You know, my kids were home for months with my mom, their dad, you know, and frankly, YouTube, <laughs> you know, it was... <laughs> you know, we spend a lot of energy trying to like get them outside and do all the things and they do and they ride their bikes and they went to some camps and stuff, but there was more screen time than there ever had been before. And we don't usually have the news going and stuff, but I think the number one thing when people come and they don't always believe me at first is, is that, um, you know, if you're feeling like you have sensory overload, then look at the things that were built to overload our senses video games, YouTube, television, not a walk in the woods. And it sounds cheesy, but like that sensory overload 
isn't overload it's sensory you know well what's the word forest bathing you know it's it's that's a healing type of sensory um, stimulation so so I think even you know Canadian Pediatric Society has said like one of the number one things to combat the anxiety and stress of this odd time in COVID is to turn off the news because mm. I think we all know that not only is it sensory overload it's confusing and it's conflicting and it's fear mongering and it's fake. And it's, um, and so not only are we inputting something external, now we have this whole internal confusion that doesn't even make sense to us. Right. And so, um, so why would we watch it? Like it's garbage. It's strange that in this time, especially in regards to COVID, it seems like it's, it's actually worse to go and get more of it. I mean, everybody wants to understand what's happening and they want to know what's going on in the community health-wise so they can protect themselves and their families. But going to seek out more information and getting on the screen more, it seems like it's actually hurting us. You know, well, and then let alone the rabbit holes of the internet that, you know, if you thought about it or, you know, have participated in any kind of like reading or documentary about, social media is built to actually maintain that dopamine hit of Mm. sensory overload and create your own alter reality actually. And so then a lot of the um, depression and anxiety we see when you really unpack it has to do with the fact that, you know, people are really conflicted with trying to live in this actual reality, which in St. John, New Brunswick is, you know, is what it is. And you've got, you know, these things you could do when you can't go to the mall or you can't travel, then, you know, wow, discover Rocco Park, discover the Irving mm. Nature Park, you know, find somebody who wants to go to the trails in Sussex. Like mm. we're a beautiful province. Or you can dive into the internet and be socially isolated and and then just not even know, be able to balance that with any amount of healing or relationships or um, reality, basically. I think that sounds dramatic. I don't mean to be like anti AI or something. I just think that the social isolation of COVID has um, really doubled down on people, um, youth especially, um, just existing in these altered realities. It's funny because at the end of each episode that we're doing on this podcast, we're highlighting some innovation in the sense friendly world, or we're, we're giving a real world tactic, a real tool to go in and address these things for yourself. If they work for you on Netflix, one of their banner documentaries right now is called the social dilemma. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but, um, it's going to freak you out. (laughs) And it's the people who built these things that were designed to give us these sensory overloads, these dopamine hits telling you not to use them. So they've since left. Um, For example, the designer of the like button on Facebook participates and they tell you why these things were designed. They're designed to hold and steal your attention. So you can say that as a fact and not sound like chicken little because every single one of us has been feeling that inside of our bodies. We might not have the words for it, but we're all feeling it. And I'm sure you, your family and your patients feel a little Mm -hmm. bit of that too in 2020 right now. Well, I get irritated when my when you know we sit down at the dinner table and my son, you know, it's kind of like, "How was your day?" And he says, uh, "It was good." And he starts, he says, 
you know what happened with so-and-so? And I'm like, no, what? And like, who's so-and-so? And what are you even talking about? You don't go anywhere. And then I find out that it's like a YouTuber or something. And I'm yeah. just like, oh God, yeah, who cares? And you don't want to dismiss what they're bringing to the table, literally, I guess, because they're just trying to interact with you. He's seven, but I couldn't care less what his YouTuber mm. did mm. on his Minecraft video. Like could not care less except for that he cares. And so therefore I need to care. Yeah. But now I feel like I have to teach him social skills when he goes out to real people because he sees so few real people during COVID. So I would say to him and coach him and he's like a lovely neuro, like there's, he's fine and he's a good kid and he's very social in a lot of ways, Mm. but it was like, Eddie, when you go see this person, you could say to them, how are you today? You know, like I had to social skill him all of a sudden again, because he would talk about Minecraft or something. And I'm like, okay, if you're going to tell your grandmother about Minecraft, (laughs) this is how you tee it up. It's a game. You build things. Everything's a square. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you get swords that have powers. I don't know, but you have to tee it up because if you start out in the middle, you've lost people. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just a funny exercise that I never thought I'd really have to do. And, um, you know, and I think that that would be even harder if people um, already found social skills a challenge. Yeah, no doubt. Let's talk for a minute about the social determinants of health. You think a lot about things like the effect of poverty on youth. It, It being well seems like a very complex thing, doesn't it? Although maybe Mm -hmm. it could be quite simple as well. And we're going to talk about some of your strategies on how you reduce the noise of this current era at the end. But talk for a minute about your work in in the social determinants of health and your focus there. Well, it's complex and it's simple. It's complex because it's people and they come from all different walks of life with all different experiences. But what's simple is what's the evidence for me. And that's that putting money in people's pockets makes them less poor. And so we need policies that put money in people's pockets. Um, and there's good evidence that said that, that says that they spend it on the right things. Um, there's still a pervasive attitude that there's the deserving poor and the undeserving poor. And that and that's the bootstraps argument, you know, well, I had to work for what I, you know, and it's just like that right. mantra should be gone with the dodo. Um, people are poor because... Uh, because people in privilege put them in that position. And that's my belief. Um, Not in a malicious way that I made somebody poor, but culturally, whether it be with systemic racism, whether it be with um, the wage divide, whether it be poor taxation policies, uh, whatever it might be. So that's the complexity is that the policies and the stuff that we um, choose to do as a province and as a nation is what puts our citizens in the position they're in. And I believe that strongly. The the thing about any level of deserving, which I don't believe in any way, is that how could you ever say that about a child? And so then you get into the rights, human rights of people. And that in this province, at least, uh, the minute that you're born, that baby has as many rights as you or I. And we have really no good mechanism to make sure that those those needs and rights are met. So, you know, I've met families who are homeless and, you know, to have homelessness in this country is absurd. Mm. 
We just don't need to. To have food insecurity is absurd. We know what the solution is to a lot of these things, but it's the, the big things that need to change to do it. So how does that translate to me and my practice? Um, not to mention the underlying trauma and toxic stress that like, you know, Gabor Mehdi's work talks about and the adverse childhood experiences. That's one big whole thing that actually changes your neurons as well, right? Changes your genetics even. Um, but then there's just the ability to deal with your day to day. So we were talking earlier about like, how do you keep your schedule straight when you go all these random days to wherever, when you're worried about putting food on the table? How do you go to a physician to fill a prescription and know that if you pay whatever it costs for that medication, this bill is not going to get paid this month. And so, um, you know, we had a huge win in this country in the last week, which was the Canby case um, ruling came out at a BC, which preserves the um, preserves our commitment to a public health care system, which says um, a public private two-tiered system will not improve waitlists, that waitlists are not caused by the public system, and that um, people should not um, be given care based on their ability to pay. And so when all of a sudden we say to, because this is a sensory overload type of podcast, when we say, yes, you can come to the doctor to get a diagnosis of autism, but if you want to see an occupational therapist or a speech language pathologist or get a sensory diet or, um, have a behavioral interventionist, you need to pay $125 an hour. Mm-hmm. Then there's some serious unfinished business with Medicare there. Right. Right. How, yeah. How are we dividing care based on economic boundaries? One of the, a mentor of mine and someone you're probably connected to as well, actually, I won't name them, but he does a lot of work in this space. And he said to me in a similar fashion about the bootstraps argument, um, we should improve ourselves, sure, but when is someone who is sleeping rough supposed to do their resume? Is that before or after they find somewhere to sleep that night? And so these things kind of get crystallized in your mind, as you say. So it's we're 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 putting wellness, um, we're putting the boundary lines of wellness within the boundary lines of economic status. And I know you think a lot more about this than I do, but you put it really well that those are just those are really big challenges. The challenges, but it's, it's, um, I mean, we just had an election here. And so it was a very important platform point for me to make my decision to vote, but also the type of candidates that I would back, which are all over the map, to be honest, um, because there's some beautiful people in all the parties who get it. um, And there's some people who don't. And the people who get it, I really just pray are the ones that um, understand that people deserve to be treated with dignity. People deserve to be met where they're at. And so when you have some simple policies like um, the assistance uh, formulary will only cover uh, the birth control pill and not, you know, your IUD, Mm. um, well, then, yeah, how are you going to remember to take your pill in your bedside table that doesn't exist in the shelter? Like, it's just there's just things that um, are such low hanging fruit for me, um, which sounds righteous, I guess, in a way. Um, because there are big complex problems that have to do with a lot of economic stuff. I don't know a thing about, but people first and you have to hear their voice. I think we make a lot of decisions for people without them at the table. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we need to find a way to do that in an, um, untokenizing way or non-tokenizing way, uh, and really make space for, for that. 
this podcast is called Sensory Friendly Solutions. So we do hope that when people listen, <laughs> not list all the problems and <laughs> they society. are. Oh, shoot. I'm they, on the wrong podcast. <laughs> yeah. We do hope they find some solutions here and can find ways to address the busyness, the noisiness, the overload of the current time because we're all facing it together. So, final question, Dr. Gander. What are some strategies that you use or that your family uses to reduce the noise of the current time? How do you, how do you deal with it? Mm. Um, probably the most effective intuitive tool that I've used as a mother is the pause and breath. Mm. And I really don't mean, you know, I don't mean a yoga pose. I don't mean a, big breath. Cause sometimes that can be actually quite triggering to your nervous system, but, but it's just a pause and, um, starting to identify what you are feeling in more than just like a happy, sad, glad, super simple, superficial mm-hmm. way, but be like, okay, what am I feeling? I'm feeling anxious. Um, you know, but I'm also exhilarated. And so why? And so I think, checking in with ourselves is really important. So we, we are the leaders of our uh, domain sort of thing, you know, Mm. so you can really kind of learn what you need. And anytime you're teaching anybody how to regulate, whether or not they have a regulation problem, or they're just a human trying to do better every day, regulation has to do with listening to your body. So, you know, I saw a patient today who I taught them how to do a sort of behavior checklist um, about when she would go pee and cause she kept peeing her pants and mm-hmm. it was just because she would forget to go. Mm-hmm. And so we have to sometimes bring our body and our minds back together as a partner. Um, cause if you don't and you just squish it all, um, or just try to muscle your way through the resistance, um, to your point about the body, uh, earlier, um, you will, it'll come out in another way. You'll have diarrhea, you'll have low back pain. You'll, you know, we know what it does to the immune system. It's just, um, so it's a really long answer to trying to orient and stop and pause, Mm. um, and not be inside staring at screens all day. You have to pause. We have to book time in between some of this stuff as adults, if we're on there all the time and for students, So here's the positive spin to kids going every other day. Wouldn't it be amazing Mm -hmm. if that other day was some sort of organized, coordinated, mandatory time outside? Right. So let's bring outdoor education to our schools. Um, I'm very fortunate. So here's my privilege in this world is that I can afford to send my children to a forest school, um, which is the best decision, but a really hard one for me because it doesn't, it feels very um, elite. Um, but the way I balance that is that I, I really think that bringing that outdoor education to the public system is the most uh, essential next education frontier. And like you said, that that kind of alternative education opportunity allows that brain body connection to, to become more clear. Getting those tools. Yeah, well, you know, Eddie, so he's my oldest. Um, he gets super frustrated sometimes, as every kid does. And, you know, he's the kid who says like, oh, mom, oh, I just need to go for a walk in the woods. And, I'll be like, and, I, and as soon as he said that, I was like, that was worth every dollar I've ever spent on forest. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I'm like, can I come with you? He's like, no, I need some personal space. <laughs> That's amazing. Dr. Gander, if you feel comfortable letting our listeners engage with your public work, tell us where we can find you. Uh, well, the easiest place is probably NB. So like NB is in New Brunswick, but NB social pediatrics, Dot com is our website and that is uh, my amazing team. They're not mine. We are a team together of uh, really like-minded researchers and clinical people who um, are just trying to move the needle on this stuff. And, and our mantra is that we want to know what works and prove what works and prove it doesn't work and move on and just get to work for people and especially for kids and youth in New Brunswick because um, they're totally worth it. Mm. Dr. Gander, thanks for being on the Sensory Friendly Solutions podcast. My absolute pleasure. Thanks so much. Be well. Okay, Crystal, we're in the second part of our very first episode of the Sensory Friendly Solutions podcast. And we wanted to take some time to reflect on some of the things we heard from Dr. Sarah Gander. She was very gracious with her time. You've listened. Let's reflect on some of the things we talked about. One of the first things, Matt, that struck me about uh, the insights that Dr. Gander shared uh, was that sensory overload has not gone away because of COVID. Right. And we still ask, you know, we can ask ourselves the question, well, is the world really still busy, noisy, and bright mm. uh, when we're not necessarily, um, the, you know, our spaces uh, don't always feel as crowded, there's not so many people together. So right. has there, you know, has there been a shift? Um, and is uh, sensory overload, is that something actually fewer people are experiencing? And you know, Dr. Gander really, um, you know, made a couple of key statements around things like the brain likes to form habits. Right. And that, this was a big takeaway for me too. Yeah, that really made me think about our experience right now. Uh, and Dr. Gander also spoke about the incredible disruptions to our routines. Uh, so when we think about our sensory experience in our many environments, be that at home or, or school or going back to work or even working from home, it's mm. all different. Right? Our, our, our habits and routines in any of our environments continues to be different um, and to be changing by factors that are external and sometimes beyond our control. And that contributes to sensory overload for everyone. It was a uh, big takeaway for me too. I think I had underrated the idea of routine disruption and how that for those who require these habitual frameworks to be successful in their everyday life, what a routine disruptor to be doing something Monday, Wednesday, Friday, yeah. and another Tuesday, Thursday, for example. Yeah. yeah, they're gone. Those routines and habits are gone uh, outside of our control. And and I think, you know, it's really true. And I'll, I'll, we'll talk a little bit about the diversity of the community uh, for whom sensory sensitivity is a problem. Um, you know, but Dr. Gander said it, like all of our brains mm. attach themselves to habits and patterns, right? It really mm. does affect everyone. 
Something else that was really foundational in what she said, uh, and again, what Dr. Gander said and really made me think uh, was a, a statement sort of like this, um, people deserve to be met where they're at. Mm. And that uh, really resonated with me as a, as a core concept to help everyone understand what it means to become sensory friendly. Uh, so, so being sensory friendly and, and offering a sensory friendly experience, that really made me uh, reflect and, and think about uh, it. It's not a, it's not a, it's um, sorry, it's not a destination. It's a journey. Right? Yeah. And, you know, really at Sensory Friendly Solutions and why are we doing this podcast, our, our goal is to, to get people to the starting line and, and to share those sort of, you know, key education, awareness, discussions, solutions, um, and then to really help people along that journey. And that mm -hmm. we should not ever think we've arrived and um, that uh, we're at the destination and that it's perfect. So, you know, sensory friendly and accessibility and diversity and inclusion, we want those words to become familiar words and, and comfortable words and part of our everyday thinking and our actions. Um, because the, the community of people who experience sensory sensitivity sensory overload, have sensory challenges is vast. Um, so someone with PTSD might have sensory sensitivity, so might an autistic person, uh, so too someone with dementia uh, and mm -hmm. someone like me who has hearing loss. And what is a fit for one person is not always a fit for the next. Right. So meeting people where they're at um, and, and that means the um, the person with sensors, sensory sensitivity, but also the groups and organizations and people who care, who are trying to make things better, um, that that's really, again, that was really key and um, really struck me about uh, 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 Dr. Gander's insights. Uh, so an example is we, we launched our, our promo for the uh, podcast and um, so our promo had a little background music in it. Mm. And our team here at Sensory Friendly Solutions, we, we, mm. we talked about that. Uh, and we talked about how that music is part of the habit of listening to podcasts, right? It's, it's a cue. This mm. is a podcast. There's these little sounds. Um, and this is, this is a habit. This is an expectation of, of people who listen to podcasts. It tells them what to expect. And I... I talked a little bit as a sort of person first, someone with hearing loss going, mm, that's a little hard, uh, a little hard for me. But as a team, we, you know, we talked about that, mm. the sensory experience uh, of a podcast. What was the feeling yeah. of that, Crystal? Because that's a yeah. great, it's a great thought. So when we first yeah. were doing the pilot and we always want to be listening to our listeners, yeah. engaging with them, tweaking as we go to create the best listening experience possible. In the beginning, if you remember back, the music was too loud. And I think what yeah. you said is you found it distracting from the actual voice. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and, and, and again, so, you know, my experience as someone with sensory sensitivity is, is uh, different. 
than than other people's, right? And that and having that expectation of that here here's an auditory cue, and for some people that auditory cue is is helpful, and for some people it's it's a it's a distraction. And we actually so we had lots of great feedback with the launch of our promo, and one person just very thoughtfully wrote in to say, hey, like that music, right? Was that I found that distracting, and I went, mm-hmm. oh, okay, you know. That uh, to me, and I really appreciated that because that is so representative of the diversity in the community of people who care. Um, and podcasting, it's, it's about hearing and listening. And you do an incredible job of delivering phenomenal uh, quality in sound. And so how do we, how do we help when those auditory cues are hard for some people and expected Mm. for others. And so that really brings me back to, well, we listen, we adjust, we adapt, we try new things. And becoming sensory friendly, even for us, means problem solving to find solutions. Mm. And so it, it just really brings me back to becoming sensory friendly is a journey. It's not a destination. That's a great way to think about it. And thank you very much to that listener that did take the time to write in and tell us about her experience listening to the show. And we want to course correct as we go to give you the best experience possible. Crystal, I wanted you to reflect on, it's really important for us to be talking to our guests about the strategies that they use in everyday life, because we want people to walk away with the tools, with the tools and tactics and strategies necessary to improve their day to day. What did you think about Dr. Sarah Gander saying not only for ourselves, but for our kids, take that big, deep breath, let the mind settle and then move on this, this constant, especially where she mentioned, we now don't take breaks in between our meetings where previously we had those breaks naturally because of whether it's commute or whatever, that was interesting. And and that was something I thought was underrated. Take that big breath, center the body, make the body mind connection, as she said, and then move on. Yeah. Um, that too, Matt, uh, I think really resonated. And um, so an, another little t- tidbit of feedback that someone wrote in, they said, hey, I listened to the promo. Um, are you going to share? And hadn't listened to our first episode with Dr. San- uh, Sarah Gander isn't live yet and said, hey, are you going to have person first experiences highlighted? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, that's really important to, sh- to share, to know, to have listeners know that um all of our guests, uh, while they might be like Dr. Gander, a, a pediatrician with vast experience and particular insights um, that we're always going to be asking people individually uh, to share uh, their own personal experiences around uh, sensory overload and sensory sensitivities, because we know it affects really everyone, mm. right? Uh, some people more and some people less. Uh, I really liked uh Dr. Gander's um, sort of like a really simple strategy, right? Um, Tackling sensory overload and sensory sensitivity can feel really overwhelming and and for everyone. And sometimes we we forget where to begin. Uh, And that that little reminder, uh, just to stop and breathe uh, is, is really important. It just helps us to reset our body Um, and having sensory overload is just you know our our body really gets uh, 
overwhelmed. And, uh, you know, the an analogy is the, the volumes turned up too high, right, yep. on, on, on what our body and our brain is experiencing um, and taking, uh, taking that breath. And really interesting, uh, something also really interesting Dr. Gander said is um, she sort of qualified it. She wasn't like, you know, deep, you you said deep breath, and she she sort of said like take a good breath, uh, mm. but she also she also recognized that sometimes. Um, and I don't want to say too deep of a breath, but that that can sometimes be a trigger, right? Our, our breathing right. Right, is right. very much connected with our body and our brain. So she, she really qualified that as a sort of a, a little pause and a reminder to breathe. Um, and then that in and of itself is just very centering uh, and lets our, our body and our brain reconnect, right? Uh, and, yeah. and start again. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the third part of the very first episode of the Sensory Friendly Solutions podcast. Every week, we want to give you the tactics, strategies, the tools, maybe highlight some innovation to help you navigate the day better using the wisdom and the guidance of some of our guests, but also some of the things that we're thinking about here on the podcast. We want this to be actionable. We want this to make your life better in a tangible way. There are two things that you can do this week to quiet down our modern time just a little bit. One is a book by the excellent writer and physician Gabor Mate out of Vancouver. It's called When the Body Says No. This goes back to that brain-body connection that Dr. Sarah Gander was talking about. And it's really changed the lives of many as we reconnect our bodies to our minds because we now know that these two are inseparable. The second is a documentary. This is the new Netflix banner documentary, The Social Dilemma. Really interesting. Some of the creators of our most favored tech platforms like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, etc. have agreed to do this documentary talking about how they were designed urging us to rethink some of these tools and how we use them, how they interact with our daily lives in a time where it's complete information overload. I think we can all be served well by reconsidering what these tools are and how we use them. We'll see you next week on the sensory friendly solutions podcast. Thank you to our sponsor, taking it global. Ensuring that youth around the world are actively engaged and connected in shaping a more inclusive, peaceful, and sustainable world. As part of their Rising Youth Initiative, they're looking for young people who are inspired with ideas and ready to take action through youth-led community service grants. Head to risingyouth.ca to learn more and to become the next Rising Youth grant recipient. The podcast is also supported by New Brunswick Community College as part of the Community Resource Awareness During and After COVID-19 Applied Research Project, funded by the New Brunswick Innovation Foundation. Learn more about NBCC's efforts to transform lives and communities at nbcc.ca. The Sensory Friendly Solutions podcast is produced by me, Matt George, is engineered by the great Zachary Peltier, and is part of the Unsettled Media Podcast Network.